Welcome to the Company of Believers podcast. We hope you will be blessed and encouraged by this message. Jesus bless you. back and forth this morning between two or three, four things that really I felt like God wants me to deal with or speak to and trying to sort out what that's supposed to look like. And and, and as always, when I'm in those moments, usually something gives the direction. And uh, Brother Ben did this morning and then followed by by the worship also and and it it matters that we understand properly I keep saying that y'all it matters that we have a clear in uh, understanding vision of who Jesus is and he's constantly wanting to bring us closer so he can give us that and and today's going to be hard for some of y'all to hear what I'm saying and I don't I don't, that doesn't bother me. Be a Berean, go home. If it really bothers what you've always believed and get your Bible out and sit down and think about it. But this is a truth for me in my life that I operate in or try to. Y'all, I, I, I didn't grow up like most of y'all going to church. Jesus walked in my room one day up in Birmingham as a grown man and you know, I saw Jesus, I heard Jesus, and that's how I started with the man Christ Jesus. I didn't start in church. I didn't start with any preconceived understandings of what this was supposed to be. I saw him, and I wanted him, and I didn't know anything about that, and that, that was my starting point, and, and I know that's not everybody's starting point, and it doesn't make mine more and your less or yours more and mine less. It, it just doesn't matter. That's irrelevant it's that we have one, right? And God defines that for each one of us. But it, that beginning for me and then being snatched out of the U.S. And, and, and down to Mexico before I really got entrenched in one way of thinking it, because I was part of this group or this group in church, it, I got sent down to Mexico where there was no group except our guys and we're pretty uh, across the board in what we believe in a lot of different areas. I just, uh, it, I'm grateful for that because it forced me to pick up the Bible and let Jesus and the, and the Word of God define to me what I was going to believe. And a lot of those things have been reworked down through the years continuously. I mean, they just have. Um, but <coughs> I even shared some of this with Brother David a while back. And, and, and he, he was listening, but he was having a hard time swallowing uh, because it is so ingrained in us. And what Brother Ben said when he was standing up here about being born in a sin is right. Do I fully understand what that means? I do not, and neither do you, so hush. Okay? Before you get your feelings hurt. 
None of us really grasp that to the degree that it's written. I'm convinced of that. And there is a, that is truth. That is truth. That is the state of man today. But there is a deeper truth inside of that that is ignored and religion and the devil wants us to constantly be blinded to. So what I'm about to say is not saying what Brother Ben said and what we all believe to some degree is not true, but we can't stop right there. We need to understand the truth to the depth that God has expressed it to us. So in, in Genesis, you can play as long as you want to. You can sit down. I like it. That's up to you, man. I ain't, I, I ain't hurt him. I like it, but you are free. Uh, so in Genesis 1, let's just go to the beginning, verse 26. Genesis 1. Y'all have so enjoyed being with y'all here consecutively and just it's just been a really good time for me personally enjoyed it I'm really disappointed I'm not going to be here for the party this afternoon but me and Rachel had some had a had a Salida visit uh, to leave today after church to go to Georgia it's uh, some family court going on for one of the boys the oldest one so kind of can't get out of that so that's why we won't be here or we would be. And if I would have known, I would have definitely planned to be here. Because I found out somebody knows how to make peach cobbler. I don't even think it's cobbler. I think it's just awesome dough. <laughs> but anyway, Jesus. All right, in verse 1, chapter 26, it says this. It says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to likeness. This is the first mention of man in the history of the Bible, in man, in, in the history of written history. It's right here. And, and what we hear is, is that God makes a declaration, let us make men in our image according to our likeness. That means that each one of us sitting in here were made according to his likeness. We're, we're made to, to look like God. We're a representation of God on this planet today. It doesn't matter how you got here. It doesn't matter if you're the victim of a rape or, or the, the, the result of a rape in that way. It doesn't matter if you were abandoned at birth. It doesn't matter any, none of that, is, it, it doesn't matter. You are made, you're an expressed image of God the Father. But not just God the Father, you're an expressed image of Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Because he said, let us make man in our image. And what you see here is that God being Father he has never been alone. He has always been with the Son and the Holy Ghost. What does that really look like? I have no idea. But they've always been together. And even being together in that degree of family, in that degree of unity, he still desired to have more family even so. So he created us. There are no accidents here. The Bible says in Isaiah that every person on the face of the planet is alive because God put breath and life and his spirit in them. Whether you're 
a whoremonger, a drunkard, or a murderer, or a liar. It, none of that matters. You breathe and live because God wanted you. And he put his life in you. And so what's amazing about here is first is that God made us in his image. He, we were made in their image because he desired family. There is nobody that was ever created that was designed to do life alone. Nobody was created to be isolated. Nobody was created to walk a lone path with no one else. That's not God created us because he wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to bring us in to a family. That's always been his desire. It will always be his desire. In my father's house is what? Many rooms, many mansions. I, I stood in here one day a while back and, and said that I looked up this, this deal about New Jerusalem that by the dimensions that's given, a lot of statisticians believe that it is, it is at a size that every person that has ever been born can fit inside the dimensions of New Jerusalem with several acres to their name. Because see, his intent has always been for us to be together. That's always been what he wanted. He's never deviated from that desire. And he made us to be in his image. This is I'm going somewhere with this, and in a minute it's going to get hard for some of y'all because it's going to call into question some things that are really entrenched, but it's the very things that are hindering you from moving forward in God's will for your life, in peace, in joy, in victory. And, and, and right here, you, you understand something. You, Adam, me, anybody else, we were, we're an expressed image of God. We were formed in his image. We were made in his likeness. You go to Genesis chapter 2, 18. And God said, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Why? Because he didn't design us to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. See, God doesn't want us to be alone. It's not good that we're alone. Whether you're married or whether you're not married, that, that is the truth being expressed right here. But the, a bigger truth even still is that he doesn't want any of us to be at home by ourselves or walking a path by ourselves. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for woman to be alone. It's not good for the sons and daughters to be alone. There, there are people who believe, I can do my own thing with Jesus over here. That is a lie. That is not what you were created for. You were created for family. We have been jointly fitted together to move forward together as one. And when one part of that jointly fitted body is not there, it, it creates... It creates some, some failure in some areas. areas. All right. So let's go to Psalm 139. We'll move, a for, move forward in time. Psalm 139. It's a pretty famous scripture right here. Most of y'all probably can quote it. Excuse me. I'm going to start in verse 13. I'm just going to lay some verses out for a minute, and then I'm going to talk more. In verse 13, it says this. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. 
I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay? This is written by David who was a man after God's own heart. At the time of this psalm, you know he had already committed adultery and murdered a man to cover it up. And so he's not writing from a place of never have failed. He's writing from a place of I know sin and I know it at its deepest, darkest place after knowing God and being chosen by God and anointed by God and placed on a throne by God. And when he writes this right here, it's an amazing thing because how does David recognize that he was made? Fearfully and wonderfully made. So the same man in another place that writes, I was born in iniquity. Further down the road, he writes, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So now we're starting to run into what seems like is a contradiction. Because if I'm made, or if I'm born in iniquity, how can I be fearfully and wonderfully made? Most of us have interpreted that to mean that I am born broke. I was created jacked up. I was formed to be a failure. And David absolutely repudiates that. He says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Have I done wrong? Yes. Was I born into sin? Yes. And there are some people that actually believe, the Jews actually, some of the Jews believe that when David actually states that, he is referring to the fact that he was born out of wedlock. Now whether that's true or not, I don't know. The Bible doesn't teach us. But a large part of the Jewish people, scholars, believe that's what he is expressing right there. And we've taken one little verse and formed a doctrine that makes us feel like, like which most people think Luther said, that we can never be anything better than a, a, a snow-covered dung heap. And see, that's a lie. That's anti-God. Because in whose image were we made? And is God done? So we're, we, we, we got some jacked up stuff going on here. And I feel all of y'all tightening up. And that's glad. I'm glad because I'm going to kick this right off the hill. Because it, it, it's keeping us from becoming who God said we are. It's keeping us from releasing ourselves to the truth that is right here because of misunderstanding and religion trying to put something on us to make us think at best I can just be snow-covered dung. I wasn't created that way. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He formed me, it says. He covered me in my, my mother's womb. He formed my inward parts. Go to, go to Jeremiah. See? Jeremiah 11. Verse 5. Another famous piece of scripture that, or 1 5, I'm sorry, not 11. I was looking wrong at the number. 1 5. Most all of y'all can quote this. 
And so it's amazing how we can know truth and not see the truth of it. Like I said, y'all can all go home mad today. That's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. But go home and be a Berean. That means study it out to see if it's so. And I'm okay with that. I don't want any of you to believe anything just because I say it. Right here, Jeremiah the prophet says in verse 5, chapter 1, before he, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So right here, God's telling Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. There was a relationship in existence before we even left the womb of our mothers. He knew us. How did he know us? Because he created us. And how did he create us? Wonderfully and fearfully. So there, there we need to understand that we were not made to be failures. We were not made to be bound to sin for eternity. We were not made to be trash. We were not made to be dung. That's not who he created us to be. He created us in his image and he did it fearfully and made us to be fearfully and wonderfully made. He has sanctified us. That means he's called us to himself to be his. Does that change the fact that there's sin involved? No, it doesn't. I'm not saying that at all. But between being fearfully and wonderfully made until we, make, until we meet Jesus, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in between called sin. Yes, Adam was the first one to sin, or Eve and Adam, and, and we fall under that consequence. And we can't even blame them because we've heaped our own sin up enough where I can't blame nobody else but Bo for my life that I have. But what we need to understand is, is that if we were fearfully and wonderfully made, we're made in his image, and he knew us and was in relationship and sanctified us before we even left the womb, then that means this is our intent. What the, the way we were made, that's what he intends for us to be. If he didn't want us to be made in his image, he would have made us in some other image, but he didn't. He made it in his. And that means... This is who he says we are. And what happens between here and meeting Jesus is things that begin to turn upside down the understanding of who he created us to be. And we begin to put a mask on that we adopt as who we really are. And it's not. It's not who we are. The person that used to do drugs and, and run the streets and be violent and lie and still that's not who I was it was a lie it was an imposter that I took ownership of and, and this is who I am you want to know why because that's who my daddy was and that's who my grandpa was and so that's who I am it's just who I am no it's not I was sanctified before I even got here called to be his before I even got here. Religion wants us to walk through these doors week after week thinking, I am such a sinner. Oh, God, just thank you that I can slide in here and worship you because you covered up my dung 
with the blood of Jesus. And, and it creates a mentality in us that the best that we can hope for is to be that. And nothing more. That's not hope. Hope is, I actually am this person. I have lived a life of sin. Jesus, he didn't just cover it. He evaporated it. He made it to be no more. And so if that's true, then I actually can begin to believe I was never that person to begin with that who I thought I was for all of those years. I was actually made to be in his image and I can start conforming to that. Instead of thinking, making mistakes is just part of who I am. And you know, I love Jesus and I'll still get in, but making mistakes is just always gonna be part of who I am because at best, I'm just snow-covered dog. And so there's an allowance given consciously, but most times it's just subconsciously that I can't expect to be like Jesus in every area of my life. I can't expect to be free. I can't expect to really live a life that looks like Jesus' life because that's not who I am. I'm somebody else that Jesus has just covered up so he can tolerate to look at. Man, what an upside down, backwards theology that keeps us without hope that we ever can be truly conformed to the image of Christ. You know, if David can write after the adultery and the murder and the lies and the deception, if he can get back to the revelation, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Why can't we go there? Why do we have to stop it at Psalms 50, 51, right? Where it says, I was conceived in sin. Why is that where we stop? Why is there not a greater revelation that even though I might have been born into something that I had no, no decision in, and even though I did my own sin, why can't we get to the revelation that I am made in the image of God? Why is it we have to stop halfway and live with our heads down the rest of our life inside of the kingdom of God, never knowing joy and peace and never walking in the likeness of Christ in a degree that says we have really encountered a supernatural life. In, in uh, Ephesians, let's go to the New Testament. Chapter 2. Now this is Paul way on further down the road than, than Genesis and David and Jeremiah. Here's another man who murdered Christians, put them in jail, was on his way to do that and encountered the goodness of God. And it says right here in verse uh, 9, we'll just start in 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are what? His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand. So Paul had an entire life laid out for him before he ever encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had been called and sanctified in the womb just like Jeremiah and just like you and just like me. 
He deviated from the path that God had ordained for him from the womb. Just like every one of us. Until Jesus cornered him in a place that he could no longer deny the love of Jesus. And when he could no longer deny it, and he, and he, and he finally surrendered to it, he stepped off the path of a lie, of this is just who I am, and he stepped on to the path that God had always had prepared for him. He's preaching something that he is living, that he, he is a, a witness of. See, it don't matter what you've done, living the lie that this is who I am and taking on the, vat, the mask that hell hands you as soon as you come out the womb, convincing you this is who you are and this is who you'll always be and you'll never be anything different and at best you'll just be snow-covered dung, but this is still who you are. As soon as we get free from that lie, we actually get to step on to the path of God that he ordained for us to always be walking on. And some of us get to that place a lot sooner instead of later. Some of us get there later, and it, it just matters that we get there eventually. But when we get there, we need to step onto it in the truth of, I was never that. That is not who I am. That's what I did. That was the imposter that covered me and made me believe I was somebody I was not made to be. And I did things that actually were not for me to do. And we can disown that and move away from it and become who God says we are. And Paul's writing that right here. And, and, and he goes on to verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called on circumcision by what is called the circumcision is, is made in the flesh by hands, that, that, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that was not his intention. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Come on. He brings us back into the arms of the one who always wanted us in his arms. In sin, created a wall of division between us and Father. Not desire. It was not his desire that put that wall there. It was sin. And I said, I'm not even going to talk about Adam. I'm talking about my sin. Put a wall between me and God. You know, this world has been affected by sin to the point that it is, it says in, in Peter, that it's like an old, old garment that's just wearing out. And it wasn't created to wear out. But when sin was brought into the, into the atmosphere, into the world, because of their decisions to be disobedient to the truth of God, then it had an effect that began to deteriorate everything around it. That's why we get sick. That's why we, we, we have a world that's wearing out. That's why farmers have to throw fertilizer on the ground because the ground doesn't give out like it used to and was created to always do. It has an effect that just runs and runs and runs and runs. And if you don't believe that, you ladies who've had a baby, what does it feel like when you're having, having a baby? That's Eve's fault. When we have to go and live by the sweat of our brow to provide for our homes, that's Adam's fault. But that was never the original intention for us. But our decisions and our sins have consequences that run 
until we come to Jesus. Our sins and our decisions to rebel against the knowledge of God, whether it's by knowing the Bible or by the testimony of creation, it creates a division between us and Father that he will not come over to get to us. But he sends Jesus to evaporate the wall of partition, the separation, because he wants us so much. I like that. But the whole thing that I really am talking about today, I just want to make sure I put that in there because I don't want anybody to go home thinking, well, Brother Bo thinks that you know there's not sin involved, but that's, that's not true. But the lie that I want to deal with today is that we're not made in his image and we weren't fearfully and wonderfully made. See, it's not that we're snow-covered dumb. We covered up the likeness and image of Christ with crap, with sin, with the dumb. It's the other way around. We were made in his likeness. And from the time we split the womb, we just started by the handful covering ourselves up. And we were so covered for so long and we looked into that mirror and we said, well, that's just who I am. That's my image because that's all I can see. But it's because we covered the image of God that we were made to be. That's why the Bible talks about in James about reading the word is like looking into a mirror because it, it goes in and it tells you this is who you are. This is what you really are supposed to look like. Remember that. See, it's backwards. It's, it's reversed. Go to Isaiah 25. Please, if you don't mind. And I don't know if I've shared this part here with y'all or not. This is something God spoke to me earlier this year or at the end of last year. And I don't know if I ever shared it here. See, it matters that we understand whose likeness we're made in because it's going to, what you believe is going to dictate how much of this word of God you actually can receive as truth and, and operate in. Because if you don't think that'll ever be your reality, you're never going to move in that reality. Until you actually think this is for you, you're never going to embrace it and let it have its work in you and bring it back, bring you back to your original intention. Remember these works that Paul said? He did them way before we were born. He, God, he formed those works and fashioned them and prepared them and fabricated for us to realize in our life before we were ever born. But how are we going to realize that if we never think we're good enough to? If you never think you're good enough to tell somebody else about Jesus, how are you going to do it? If you never think you're good enough to not have to continuously return to that one sin that always is tripping you up, if you really believe deep down on your inside that's just who I am, then you're never going to expect to be wholly free. Man, I don't want to do this thing halfway. I don't want to have to fake like I got the joy of the Lord. I don't want to have to fake like I've got peace in my heart. I don't want to have to fake like I'm free. I want to be free. <laughs> I want to be the way God intended for me to be 
before I was in my mama's womb, he knew me. God, come on, y'all. So this stuff matters. It's this foundational truth that has been so jacked up in the church. You can only go so far, and you can't get any further. Because you're always thinking, this is who I really am. Yeah, I might love Jesus, and Jesus might love me, but there's a, there's a limit to that. Because this is, how can Jesus really love me? How can Father really love me if I'm just snow-covered dog? If I'm just a screw-up? How can he really, really embrace me with the depth of love that we sang about or that we read about if this is who I really am? Well, you don't believe that. That's not true. You do not believe it. You will always feel in your very heart that there's only a limit to the amount of God can love you. And how great of a, an offense is that to Father? When we're trying to define the depth of love he can have for us because of who I really am. And he's trying to tell you, no, let me tell you who you really are. I made you as my son. Golly. This is amazing to me. In Isaiah 25, I, I, I'm back in my notes now. I think this is in the Passion, and I'm going to probably read it in the King James part of it. <clears throat> let me just pull it up on my computer. All right. In, in chapter 25, I'm just going to read the the first part of it because it's, it's good and this is the kit this is the passion it says Lord Yahweh you are my glorious God I will exalt you and praise your name forever for you have done so many wonderful things well thought out plans you formed in ages past see that's who our father is everything he's done has been thought out you being here and manipulated to be here whether you wanted to or didn't was a thought out plan of God he says you've been faithful and true to fulfill them all the city that was once mighty you've turned into a heap of rubble the fortified city that now lies in ruins the foreigner's fortress is no more and will never be rebuilt therefore superpower nations will glorify you and the cities of terrorist nations will revere you you have been a fortress protector for the poor a mighty stronghold for the needy in distress, a shelter from the sudden storm, and a shade from the shimmering heat of the day. For the fury of tyrants was like a winter windstorm battering against the wall, like the heat of a drought in a desert land. But you subdued the heat under the shade of clouds. You alone silenced the song of tyrants. Verse 6, it says, You or the Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, will host a rich feast on this mountain for all peoples. Y'all listen now. Yeah. God's going to host a feast. And it's going to be for all peoples. With plenty of meat and well-aged wine, with an abundance of food and the finest of wines. And on this mountain... He will destroy the shroud. Wrapped around all the people, the veil spread over all nations. It is the gloom of death. He will swallow it up in victory forever. All right? And on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud. Every illegal thing in, in that day when we come up the mountain to the presence of the Lord, it is destroyed. 
He removes it. Now let me read it to you in the King James, that, that verse, just the verse 7. In verse 7 it says, And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that it is spread over all nations. Sometimes you just can't beat some good old King James. I don't like it very much, but every now and then it just speaks a little truer. So there's a little bit more heard in this right here. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all the people and the veil that spread over all the nations. I was reading that and, and for some reason the Holy Ghost got me stirred on it. And I, I started researching it out a little bit. And there's a couple interesting words in here that you don't get unless you, you dive into it a little bit. That really changed the significance of what's said. And it's what I'm talking about today. When, when he actually says in the covering in verse 7, that word for covering, it, it's, it's lote in the Hebrew. It's lote. It means covering. You know the other time you find this word, you know whose name that is? Lot. This is the same Hebrew word for Lot's name as the word covering right and when it says the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations, God's going to destroy that. That word right there, when it talks about covering, that word for veil, that word actually means properly pouring out a fusion of metal, of like a cast image. And so what, what's being said right here is that when you come up the mountain of the Lord, that casted image that's over your face, that covering that you've actually believed that's who you are, God destroys that. And most people walk their whole life and never allow God to take the cast off their face that they actually have believed this is who I am. They live their entire life covered with the lie even as they're going up the mountain to be with God forever. And it's, it's significant that the word for covering right there is Lot's name because Lot is the example for this. Lot in the New Testament is called a righteous and just man. Okay? But he operated in a lie of deception and, 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 or, or a lie of dysfunction to where he actually thought it was okay to give his daughters away to appease a, 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 a pile of, of lust-driven men who wanted to rape something. And, and what happens is that he actually believed, he, he operated in such a level of dysfunction, even being a just man, that he really messed a lot of things up because he never... Let God take the veil off. Do you know that when you begin to study the history of Lot and Abraham, it, it, you just something, it just gets lost in there, and it did to me until a few months ago, that Abraham had the vision, followed God, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Uh, 
But once they got over into the promised land, they were only together for about five years. More or less, only five years. And after that, that short time period is when they split from each other. You know, Abraham, being a new believer, operated in such a level of dysfunction, even as he was following God, Lot looked at him and said, I can do dysfunction by myself. You're lying to people about this woman being your wife. I mean, it ain't like you're perfect and got it together. So he just split off and went and did his own thing. And he, and he, and he split off from Abraham, and he never followed out that path with Abraham, and he never saw God doing a work in Abraham that would go on for the rest of his life, which is like 90 years. But he said, you're not right enough for me to submit to and follow, so I'm going to go do my own thing. And so he actually left thinking, well, he's the father of faith, and he didn't use those words, but you're the one that saw God, heard God, led me this way, but you're in such dysfunction. He, he saw the dysfunction that Abraham operated in and was blessed in that he thought that was okay to stay there. And so he, he lived in the middle of a perverse people, was affected by their lifestyles, and he still operated under a mask that, you know, I can follow God and this is just who I am and I never have to clearly let him take this off of me. And so he, he lived his whole life with that veil and, and that matters because what happened? What happened to the generations that God gave him? It was bad. He tried to give his daughters away. God says, spares their life. They're up in a cave away from everybody. And his daughters have only seen their father and his dysfunction and it it just produced something in them that, that led them into perversity and, and it really is not even their fault. It was more the fault that their father never let God do the finished work in their life and take that veil that was, because that word that it uses is its fusion. It becomes ingrained into who you are and how you see yourself. And so you continuously operate under that to a certain degree and it never allows you to become the complete new creation that God intends you. Even though you are, it's never manifested because you have a war of I can't overcome this because this is who I am. And God's saying, no, you're not. And that constant struggle is going on. I mean, you follow the line of dysfunction. Abraham's line about who his wife is, running because of fear, because of a famine, and going somewhere God didn't tell him to go, and then lying about his wife to protect his own life. And, they, and Lot's first-hand witness of this. They split off. Lot lives in the middle of this perverse people, and, and, he, and he, he's a righteous man according to the Word of God in, in the New Testament, but he's still not operating in a degree that is revealing Christ, and his own kids don't want to follow him. He couldn't save nobody but his daughters. He didn't even keep his wife. And a large part of that is due because they never truly saw God manifested in the way God desired to be manifested in him. And what it does, it just reproduces dysfunction after dysfunction, generation after generation. Because if I can love God and, and you know, be blessed and still operate in a certain degree of this then 
you know, what's what that's just the best we got to hope for. So right here, to me, this is this is what God wants to do. He doesn't want us to wait to get up the mountain. He wants us to surrender to Jesus and to Christ so he can take that thing that's been that has been just fused into our mind and our way of thinking. Because see, it's coming off, but why do we have to wait till we get there for it to come off? These people that God's referring to in 25, which is us, it's the children of God. They have this thing, they just, it's the lie that is fused on them. And we actually think that, you know, we can't change or we can only get to a certain degree of change and that's it for us. And, you know, and I think that was representative in Lot. He was righteous. And to me, that means he loved God and believed. But even believing, he still wore the veil of who he was before he, he knew God. He never let God have that complete work in him and it never got free. And he always operated under that to a degree that never truly allowed him to know the life and the blessings of God. And that ran down to his family. And it ran down to the next generation. And it ran down to children who eventually became the enemies of the people of God. Because those sons and or those sons that were born out of those daughters through the ancestral act, I mean, they became enemies of God. They became enemies of the children of God. And they were at odds at each other. But they both started right there together. And that's the difference when you look at that. We can't continually reproduce something that's not true of who Father is. But to not do that anymore, we've got to let him take the mask off. We've actually got to understand who he's made us to be. We've got to understand what he's created us to be. And we've got to let that come in and dominate our way of thinking. That word repentance is metanoia. And, and it means actually to change the way you think, right? And most of us think that it just means do something different than what you're doing. And, and that, that, it, that is the result of metanoia. But to really change what you're doing, it, it has to be a change in the way you think. And God wants us to allow him to reshape the way we see ourselves. Not to reshape the way we need Jesus because we need Jesus or we'll never get to Father. Not that we don't have sin. Not that, that that's not true. But that we actually were made before sin touched us. You understand that? Before we came into this world and if we want to say born into sin, born into iniquity, before that ever happened, we were already made sanctified. We were already made to be with Father. But decisions brought us out of that. But a decision brings us back to that. Surrendering to Jesus allows that wall to come down. And it, but it gives us the ability to believe the truth that this is who we are because this is who God created us to and I'm no longer going to live a lie. And I actually can step into the reality of what he planned for my life. And that is wonderful works. That's good that's free and, and that contradiction in our way of thinking if we never get beyond I was born in iniquity if you stay there you're only going so far in this path 
I don't care who you are and what you think. You can do miracles and raise the dead and you can preach the walls down and you can lead people to Jesus but interiorly you will always be battling things that God never intended for you to battle and it'll be the root of because that's just who I am and it's not that's what I did that's the lie I believed I grew up my grandpa was very close to me and, and he was a big guy, like 6'1", 6'2", and, and he seemed like a giant, you know, and he was a barroom brawler, and he loved me, and I was the first male grandchild, so everywhere he went, I went, all the way until I went to school. I mean, he was a truck driver, so I, I've got miles all over this country before I could even, you know, get out of a diaper, because he would just take me everywhere. And when he went to the bars, I went to the bars. When he went to the honky-tonks, I went to the honky-tonks. I mean, I'd be three, four years old. Some of my very first memories are sitting in a honky-tonk. No joke. And I, one of my first memories is my grandfather getting in a, in a fight because of an arm wrestling dispute. And they went to fighting, so he set me over on the bar, gave me his beer to drink while he fought. And I, I remember this. I'm, I remember this as like four years old. And I remember going home to my grandma's house late that night and him telling me, now don't you tell her. And, and, and the first thing, of course, out of my mouth when we walked in the door, you ain't going to believe me, however I said it. But that kind of ended my honky-tonk days for a while. But that's what I witnessed. And I actually begin to believe that's who I am. That's what a man is. That's what it looks like. That's how I should operate. If anybody disrespects me, I should shut their mouth. And I grew up that I, I, I grew up believing I should be the meanest and baddest person in the room every time I walk into a room as a little kid. And I actually believed this is what I was created to be. And I lived and walked in that, and it became an identity to me that I really believed this is who I am. And wherever I went, that's what I carried with me, the mindset of this is who I am, and this is how I have to act. And I remember when I went to UAB to play football, that it was the first time I, I separated from everything I'd known because I didn't know anybody up there. And I actually didn't have to be that person no more because it wore me out being that. And I remember when I finally got away from everybody I ever knew and went to college and played football and knew nobody, it was like a relief because I don't have to act that way no more because nobody expected me to be that person. Nobody wanted me to be that person, but now I don't have to meet an expectation that everybody already has of me. And then I can't just tell myself, fill that role because this is who you really are. And I actually got to step away from it before I even got born again to a certain degree. But I remember when I did get born again and Jesus did walk into my room, I had an instant revelation that was a lie. I don't want to be that person anymore. In my whole time walking with Jesus for 24 years, it's him telling me that was never who you were to begin with. You were never that person. You took ownership of a lie and you fused a mask onto you almost both. And you lived out a life that was never ordained for you to know. And now that I'm on the side of Jesus and I'm in Father's arms because Jesus knocked down the wall of sin God doesn't want me just to be on that side he wants to rip the mask off 
so I can enjoy the life of God that is promised to me here. He doesn't want me to operate under that lie, but on the right side of the line. How many times does somebody say, I could never do that just because? And they never move into God's foreordained plan for their life. They never come into his love and embrace. Because how can I? I'm, I'm just a worthless human. No, you're not. Jesus loves you so much, he laid a life down for you. That is not called worthless. That is called he values you and esteems you above his own existence as a man. So how can we believe that I'm a worthless person because that's what hell tells you. That's what mom and daddy might have told you when you're growing up. That's what kids at school probably told you. You're this and that. You'll never be anything. I remember standing in my high school with Jeff Davis and Miss Armistead, my principal, called me in the office. I've said this here before. On the last day of school, when I was supposed to not graduate because I didn't care, and she called me in there and my mom's standing in there with all of my teachers and she looks at my mom like I'm not even there and tells her, your son did not graduate. Your son failed, but we have decided he's such a bad influence. We don't want him back next year, so we're passing him. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, beach, I'm going to the beach. But then she looked at my mama and she told her, he'll be dead or in prison by the time he's 20. And you know what? I thought that was awesome. I thought that sounded cool because it actually fulfilled who I thought I was in my mind. And I didn't have an expectation beyond that because I had acted this way so long that it had been infused on my brain. And I actually believed this is who I am. This must be what I'm destined for. And it was a complete lie of hell, the whole thing. And she's not mad for telling me that. She was speaking out of the natural. She was speaking out what she was seeing. She was speaking to the path I was walking. But instead of rebuking that and saying that is not true and that is not God's plan for my life and that is not who I'm made for, I was so infused with this life. I just owned it. Okay. Sure. And just kept on being stupid until Jesus arrested me. Do you see these things, they get on us and we take ownership of them even after we know Jesus. And in hell, the whole time is saying, yeah, you might be born again now and you might go to church, but you know. You're never going to be different, and you're never going to truly be free. You're never not going to be mad all the time. You're not ever. You're not never not going to deal with depression. You're not ever going to not deal with lust. You're not ever, not ever going to deal with addiction. It's always going to be there because you know God's just taking you one step away from it. But that's who you really are. And see, as long as that mindset's there, it's like it's always a possibility that that's what I'm going to do, or that's what I'm going back to, and I never can actually realize. That that is not true and freedom and absolute freedom is God's plan for our life. He is either life and life more abundantly or he is not. And so if we don't have life and life more abundantly, then we need to ask ourselves why. He's either peace or he is not peace. 
He's either joy or he is not joy. And if we're not experiencing that, we shouldn't condemn ourselves and say it's because I, I'm just snow-covered dumb. No, we should go and let God begin to redefine who we are to us. I mean, so many of us have grown up hearing, you're nothing, you'll never be nothing, you're just like your daddy, you're just like your mama, you're just like this person, you're stupid, you could never do good in school, you're never going to accomplish anything in life, you can't do this, you can't. And we hear that so much, we just, it comes on us. And God's saying, that's not who I made you to be, and I'm the one that formed you. Your mama might say that to you, but I knew you before you was even in her womb. Your daddy might see that, but before his seed formed you, I knew you and created you fearfully and wonderfully. See, we got to decide which truth we're going to believe. Because one looks like truth, but it's a lie. The other one is the truth because God has spoken it over our lives. And the freedom in actually believing what God has said, even when it contradicts everything you've ever thought. There's a freedom. Jesus said, the tr you will know the truth, and what will make you free? The truth, the truth of what he says. What is truth? The words that come out of his mouth. He is truth. And if he says this about you, this is the truth that will make you free. This will be what empowers you to never hear them voices again and never give place to that failure again because I'm not doing that. That's not who I am. So when we begin to see Jesus and we begin to have the encounter with him and we begin to get a clear vision of him, then we have to let this truth have its perfect work in us and we got to let him take that because when we go up the mountain, he removes, he destroys the veil. He destroys it. I was with one of our spiritual sons this, this week up in Illinois and just like most of us in here, he came from a jacked up family. Got born again later in life. And, you know, he, he comes with a jack up story just like I do. Uh, you know, it's just, and so he's dealing with the consequences of that even after knowing Jesus. You know, and his mind says, I want to do something, I want to do something, I want to do something. And, and, and he's still dealing internally with all of these, these misidentifications and all of these lies that swirl around him because of how he lived and how his daddy lived and how his family was. And, you know, and I'm just looking at him telling him, Jesus doesn't need another field worker. Jesus wants a son who knows who he is to properly represent him. So quit worrying about trying to get to the field to tell God thank you and show him how grateful you are. Surrender to what he's telling you about who you are. And that's the gratitude he wants. That he says, I made you and this is who you are. You're in my image. And you say, thank you, I'm going to believe that. So when we begin to do that, then it's easy for him to put us to work. And he doesn't want to put us to work. It's just an overflow of your life. But you begin to actually represent Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the Father. And it's, it's just we don't, we don't need another church reproducing dysfunction. We don't need another family who refuses to let God take the veil off. We don't need another generation who can't get a clear view of who God is because the person they're looking at for the example 
won't let God take the veil off of them. Man, I don't want to be that for my kids. And you know what that means? I have to constantly be surrendering to God to do a work in me. I, I, I was praying the other day, you know, I got kids of all different ages, and, and I just was telling Father, God, I want you to do some, something so radical in my life now that my kids think I got born again. That's what I want. That I have such an encounter with him and see him in such a way and I surrender to what he says in this Bible about who I am that when my kids look at me, they say, that's where my daddy actually got saved. I mean, I want it to be that radical that it marks them because of what I surrender to about who Father says I am. And I surrender to the degree it changes how I live my life. And that's what Father wants us to do. He wants us to begin to trust His Word. And, and, and you know, some of these things that, it's just, it's just like that, I was conceived iniquity. Well, yes, but I'm also fearfully and wonderfully made, right? So which one of those truths is greater? I can tell you what, I don't hardly think about being conceived in sin. I, I think about the fact that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made because what I think about is what I'm going to conform to. Does it change the truth about sin? No. But am I supposed to look at that continuously or look at the one whose image I'm supposed to be conformed to? Jesus made me after his own image before I was ever born. So let me stare at that a while. Let me stare at the word of God that says I was made in his likeness. And then let me go forward and act like I was made in his likeness. Let me conform to the truth that I'm seeing. And not the one that the world and hell has told me my whole life. Man, I'm beautiful. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I was made for good works. See, what are we going to stare at? We got to come in here every week for the rest of our born again life saying, you know, I'm just a worm? No, I'm not, I'm not a sinner. I'm a son of God. I don't say them words out of my mouth. I was. I was that, but I'm not a sinner no more. What are you saying? You don't mess up me? No, I do. But I got a lawyer, I got an advocate who handles that for me when I go back to him. And it immediately is erased from my account. That's not who I am. It might be a stupidity that I act in in the moment, but who I am is a son of God. See, it matters how you see yourself and what you speak over yourself and what you're choosing to focus on. I am not snow-covered dumb. I am not. I'm not believing that. And I don't want you to believe it. Because when you actually begin to believe these things, it's just so easy to surrender to God's love over and over. You understand there's a love story going on here that we have resisted all of our lives. He has tried to ravage us with his love and we're constantly just running from it. We get born again and we're still trying to run from it because we got the veil on and we won't let him take it off. We're trying to tell him, you can only go this far in loving me because this is who I really am and I know that and you know that so this is the limit and this is as much as I'm going to experience. Man, no. You understand? There's reconciliation in Jesus. There's reconciliation in our lives. We need to be reconciled to the love of the Father that formed us.
us. We need to not allow anything to come between us and the love of our Father and the truth of who He says we are any longer. Because when that is established, there's no hope. I, 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 there's this study, I can't remember the exact name of it, but I, I read something, and it's, a, it's about, uh, it's a study about rats. It's really a study about depression. I can't remember the exact name of it. But these scientists back in the 70s, they, they took this, they, they did this study, and they would take these rats and put them in a, basically a bucket of water. And they'd drop them in there to see how long they would swim before they just quit. And I think the first one was like 15 minutes or so before he just stopped. And so when he went under, you know, they'd pull him out, say. And then they, they, they waited a little while, and then they put that same rat back in the same bucket in the same situation <coughs> to see how long he would swim again. And the next time it was like 60 minutes or something really just way out there. And so he actually swam not less the second time around. He swam, he swam quadruple what he did the first time because he had hope in his heart somebody was snatching him out. So he just refused to give up because in a minute that same hand is plucking me. Somebody thinks I'm too valuable to drown in this bucket. <laughs> and this is a study about depression. See, I actually feel like God finds me too valuable to let me drown here. Because he pulled me out once, and he didn't just pull me out. He pulled me out and began to tell me why he wouldn't let me drown. Because I'm not just the rat. I'm not just this. I'm made in his image and he loves me. And he's purposed for me to be with him forever. And all of a sudden, I don't have to give in to the lie, I'm going to die here. Nobody cares about me. I don't have any value. Oh, come on now. And that's not true about anybody on the face of the planet. The love of God. never stops flowing for us. It has no depth that you can reach. It has no width or length you can get outside of it. It's just there always. Surrendering to that lets us move forward in confidence in every other aspect of the gospel. Not surrendering that just puts limitations because you're never going to do good enough. You're never going to get it all right. You always got to do one more thing so God looks halfway favorably to you that day. Instead of just surrendering, man, he loves me. Even when I'm stupid, he loves me. And it creates a whole different feeling in your heart and in confidence. All right. Father, I love you. And I thank you for this. And I thank you for the truth of this, Father. Jesus, without you, we can't come to the Father. You said that. You take down the wall. You, all of that's true. Your blood, Father, washes us whiter than the snow. It scrubs every bit of filth off us and returns us to that sanctification that you called us in before we were ever born. You're not covering something up. You're, you're, that blood is just like shining it back to the original intention and creation. God, I thank you, Father, 
that you made us in your image and you made us in your likeness and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and you've loved us so much and you've valued us so much that you, you allowed Jesus to come and buy us back. Let us surrender to who you say we are. Let, the, let that truth make us free, Father, from every live hell. Let that truth, Father, rip the mask that has been fused onto our brain, our way of thinking, and our mentality. Let it be destroyed. Let us never put it back on, Father. Let us delight in the fact that you call us sons, that you've called us into a family relationship with you, that you always intended that for us, and that's the very reason we exist is because you want to be family with us. Not because you want somebody to go work for you or preach for you or pray for you. You created this because you desire this as family, as a son and a daughter. And you've always seen us as valuable. And you've never seen us as trash. You've never seen us as a waste. You've always seen us as your image. Marked by you. Come on, Jesus. Let us come to you, Jesus, so you can knock down the wall. Let us come to you so that sin that, that has separated us from Father since, since, since we were born, let it be done away with so we can come back into knowing you like you've always known us. Let us surrender to your love and let, let the blood of Jesus wash us clean. Come on, Jesus, I thank you. I bless you and I thank you for the truth of who you say we are. I thank you, Father that you have pursued us with an endless love and you'll never stop pursuing us. Come on, begin to reach down and grab hearts, Father. Begin to grip hearts in this place. God, begin to erase the lies that they've always believed. Begin to deal with these things that they've just owned their whole life, even after knowing you, that there's just a limit of their, of their, their value, Father that they, they at best are just snow covered done. God, begin to deal with it. Begin to erase every lie that their mamas and daddies and their aunts and uncles and their friends and teachers and bosses and neighbors and the world has told them that they are and will never be anything more than that. Begin to erase that with truth. Begin to saturate their hearts with the truth that they are precious before you, that they are your beloved that you burn for love for them because they're beautiful in your eyes, because you made them beautiful. Father, begin to just do something in us we never recover from. Let that veil be destroyed once and for all so we'll quit pre reproducing dysfunction. God, let us have such an encounter with this love and with your truth that God, our own kids think we, we finally got born again. Do something in us, Father, that makes the whole world stop wonder let it stop and wonder come on Jesus I love you and I bless you today I bless you today I bless you today Jesus help us not just stop at part of truth let us go all the way in and see and see the greatness of your love if it ain't expressing you in, in love Jesus I don't want no part of it because I'm on the other side of that judgment now. I'm in you, Jesus. I want to see you as a good father. I want to conform to the image of my Jesus. I want to stare at the perfect one so long that my life begins to become perfect. 
And I begin to walk in the very footsteps of Christ. I want to stare at you, Jesus, because that's who I was made to look like. And that's the truth I'm supposed to receive and adapt to. Thank you for listening to Company of Believers podcast. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to sow into this ministry, please go to www.companyofbelievers.com and select give. Thank you for listening.